This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Hey there, IT Visionaries listeners. It's time to supercharge your network with Zeo, the North American leader in modern network infrastructure. Zeo connects critical data centers across the United States, Canada, and Europe with high-capacity metro fiber and extensive long-haul dark fiber. Trusted by the world's most innovative companies, Zeo embodies what's next in networking. Discover Zeo's expansive network maps on their website and see where their network can take you. With low-latency, reliable 400G and 800G-enabled routes, it's the modern network solution you've been searching for. Visit Zayo's website today to unlock the power of your network and tap into the technologies of tomorrow. Go to zayo.com backslash network now. Welcome everybody to a special episode of IT Visionaries. This is the first time we are going to do a full in-person studio recorded episode where I guess it's the first time in four years. Yeah. Brantley Richburg, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hey, listen, Brantley. For people that did not listen to you when you came on the show like three years ago, yeah, let's start from the top. You work as a solutions architect at AHEAD. Tell us what that is and what is AHEAD. So I work as a principal technical consultant now as oh, AHEAD. Yeah, yeah, it's just Sorry. a title. No big deal. It's just a title they give you, um, which is effectively a team lead. So I, I essentially, from a technical perspective, lead the cloud networking practice. So what that just means is all I do and all I focus on is consulting for customers around how to connect to cloud environments, whether that's AWS, Azure, Google Cloud. That's essentially what we focus on. And we're, you know, I think a specialized team within the greater networking practice um, that's just focused on cloud and cloud technologies. And what is AHEAD? What kind of customers does AHEAD service? What kind of problems do you guys solve? So we're, uh, we kind of grew from the traditional VAR space, you know, from back in the day, like EMC VAR. Now we've kind of grown into this consulting firm that also still sells like hardware and products. Our target customers are enterprise customers. So, you know, think Fortune 100 and that kind of space. But we also deal with, um, you know, mid-level customers as well. But we sell anything from networking to storage to cloud serp, cloud computing or cloud consulting services, that whole IT gamut. So we kind of compete with the Accentures, but we're a little bit more boutique than they are. Like we're not going to do... Um, some of the organizational things that they might do. We're yeah. still very tech focused, but I think that also gives us an advantage too in that terms. And then, terms. and then ahead itself has grown quite a bit since you were last on the show. Your, your company has acquired some other consulting groups yep. or technology groups. Give us an idea of the size and scope of the company right now. So when I started in 2016, we were 200 ish employees. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think we're at somewhere north of 2,000 employees now. Yeah. I be honest with you, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> We've bought like companies like Data Blue, for example, uh, Link Systems in Michigan, Sovereign Systems out of Atlanta, um, to name just a few that I can recall um, over the years and try to grow the portfolio. One in the sales perspective around products, some in the consulting areas, some in the app dev areas. So trying to kind of expand and fill the gaps in our portfolio to kind of be able to consult and offer more services to our customers. So we've kind of been able to do that. Yeah. So if you guys had an all hands and got together, uh, let's say at like Red Rocks Amphitheater, because you need someplace <laughs> big to hold you, to hold the team. What oh. percentage of people would you recognize? Oh God, probably like 5%. 5%. Hey, that's pretty good. I feel I like every time good. I go to the office in Chicago, I just see more people I don't know than I do know, which was, you know, not the case, you know, several years ago. Yeah. I used to walk in there and see a whole bunch of people I knew. Now it's like completely different. Some of it was, you know, people have moved on, but a lot of it is just, we've got more people and just, it's just like, wow, I don't know who that is, but I do recognize a fair amount. And I want to kind of set it up for everyone who's listening to the show right now. You know, traditionally, IT Visionaries has always had C-suite guests on to kind of talk about what their companies are innovating in. But the reason why I wanted to bring you on today is I know firsthand that you are at the forefront of the actual problem solving. So it's one thing for a company to say, hey, we want to do this pie in the sky. We're going to put a PR release about it. Hey, we're going to, you know, develop new mobile applications to help our customers get a better experience, blah, blah, blah. That's something that like uh, Southwest Airlines, who I've called out on the show before, 
because Southwest Airlines, if you recall their meltdown last December, mm-hmm. it got revealed that they don't have a technology-based method to reroute pilots and their schedules. It's done through call center. Mm. So like, imagine you're a pilot and that flight's canceled. They can't put you on another plane unless you call into the call center. So their call centers got backed up. And so flight attendants, pilots, or other critical staff, maintenance, they, no one could be notified of what they were supposed to do next unless they could get through the call center. But because the systems went down, everyone was calling. So I'm trying to, hey, listen, Southwest claimed that they're fixing it. I don't know. By the way, did you know that Southwest is one of the only, at the time, massively publicly traded companies that does not have a CTO? Uh, they don't? They didn't have a chief technology officer or a CIO. So it's like, what do they value and invest in? Mm. Not that. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> not that. But I thought it'd be fun to have you on the show because you're at the forefront of the problems, of the potential solutions. And so let's start with some of the some of these I want to hit off and check off some, um, maybe some misconceptions about how easy or hard these projects are. So you (laughs) mentioned before, and this is a great question, I think, is like when I hear the words, we're going to help customers get to the cloud, that feels like for someone who's not as familiar with what you do, like that's nonsense. Like how is it even hard? Like, why is this hard? Why is this still a problem? Because, you know what I mean? Like, because I think most cloud native companies think that they just buy an instance and they're in, or maybe they were born in the cloud. So they completely did everything there. But why is this even a problem still? Like, why would anyone need a consultant to figure out how to get the cloud? Which is funny because we just hired you to help us get to the cloud. (laughs) Yeah. For not, for, yeah. Um, You know, I think of it like, that, that there's a there's a multitude of things that kind of influence that the answer to that but one of the things that came to mind when i was thinking about it was technical debt so when you think of cloud native companies they're newer companies they don't have this technical debt of running systems for a long time like these think of the larger enterprise customers yeah and so when you've got this new company that's that can adopt new technologies new applications like in the cloud from the onset you're you're a, you're like you're greenfield Right, mm-hmm. you can adopt these apps. Um, you don't have any legacy applications, so to speak, no legacy data that you have to worry about. So, when you are a large enterprise company, so think major insurance companies, financial companies, healthcare companies, they've got all this legacy data and information systems that they have to deal with. And how do we integrate that with the cloud? That's the difficult part, um, or one of the difficult parts. Why don't companies just choose to like cut over? Is because like it sounds like it should be easy to do, just cut over. But why don't people just cut over? Well, <laughs> <laughs> the there's there, I was thinking about this on the ride here. Honestly, <laughs> um, I think most of it's people, and I think I said this on the on the episode we recorded yeah. a few years ago. It's not the the technology is necessarily the barrier. I mean, yeah, there is that. But it's the people adopting the technology, and enterprises are run by people. Yeah. And so I've got a customer right now that um, their project sponsor and one of the VPs or assistant VPs was like, "I'm really worried about my people um, being able to adopt it. One, from a skill set perspective, and two, just natural resistance because I don't want to learn or do anything differently. Right. So it's like I I know my job. I do this thing, and I just want to do this. I don't want to have to learn that." And cloud is that, and they don't want to necessarily pick up new technologies because it's it's different. It's cloud. It's someone else's computer. I don't trust it. There, I mean, there is a, a, a magnitude of reasons, but that I think it all boils down to just resistance from people. Yeah, in general. And then, so people wanting to do the same processes. There's also, mm-hmm. um, from my experience, the training of people. Yep. Right. So, like the yep. total amount of time it would take to tra- train like a whole workforce yeah the there was a there's funny thing you mentioned i worked at um i I can call it out because it's more than 10 years ago but i worked at (laughs) uh (laughs) i worked for a it was a it was an inventory management upgrade at bae systems which bae makes tanks right make national defense they make the m1 abrams they make all the tanks for the u.s military and they were changing the inventory system on the manufacturing floor and it was going to be scan based it was literally prior nothing like mm-hmm. you would get a bin of parts and like someone's job was to randomly pull the parts and c- 
count up like what you used and they would extrapolate that. Like that's what was used in the day. Like that was like paper, pen, mm-hmm. way of Old dealing school. with things. Yeah. And so now they're like, well, we're going to scan the parts that we take so that we get a better idea of how many parts we're pulling to, you know, repair, manufacture, engineer or whatever. And like, they were like seriously concerned about teaching these guys how to scan these things. Mm-hmm. Like this was like the biggest problem. Like they're like, even if it worked, they were like, wait, I got to scan it. It's like, why can't you just do what we did before, which is I pull whatever I need and you count it possibly later. Right. It took forever for them to even get the, like, well, that's, that's <laughs> like, that's the version of technical debt. Right. Yeah. So if you think about an enterprise, I have all these systems that I already have to maintain, whether that's mainframe, traditional client server architecture on premises, I still have to keep the lights running. There is a business that has to be run and there is a cost to doing that. Whether, and you know, there's a financial cost, there is a time cost and the people that have to do it. And then now all of a sudden we have to, you know, we being the, you know, the, the customer, right. I'm, I'm pretending to be that person right now. We're like, okay, now I've got to learn this. I'm already overworked, you know, in, in a lot of cases. And now I also have to learn this and maybe I'm interested in it. Maybe I'm not, but it's like, it's just one more thing to add to it. And then yeah. they might not understand why they even need to go to the cloud. So, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's very complicated in terms of like the reasons why there's so much resistance in some areas of the business, but I mean, but nevertheless, it still comes down to, it's just people. Yeah. Like just resisting the urge to change, grow, learn. Um, you got, you always have some, right. Yeah. That want to do that. Like I was in a workshop, not, you know, not too in the distant you know, past, <laughs> Where we had like a camp over here, where like these people are like, yes, we want GitHub, we want code, you know, re, you know, code revision and all this. We want infrastructures code, and then other people are like, why do we need that? We don't want to do this. Like, it's just like <laughs> they just don't understand it. So, give us an idea of what some of the, you know, you mentioned before getting to the cloud, integrating cloud systems or hybrid clouds. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming hybrid is because there was a there was a wave five years ago where it was like everyone's going to be. 100% to the cloud. Yeah. And then I think that's faded off and people are like, okay, I'll, then there was like this idea we're going to be multi-cloud. Then I think now it, it's looking like people are always going to maintain something of their own mm-hmm. and probably multiple clouds. Is that what you're seeing right now? Multiple clouds is definitely the trend right now. Yeah. Um, so back when we first talked, people were just, you know, getting into the cloud and a single cloud. And even, yeah. even from our perspective, we recommended from an operational point of view, you learn how to maintain and operationalize a single CSP or cloud services provider. So whether that's Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud, pick one and learn that one, master that one. Don't yeah. try to pick, you know, two, three platforms because they all are very different in a lot of ways and trying to operationalize that is going to be even harder considering that there's already, in you know, generally speaking, a resistance in some groups to yeah. even learn it in the and first if, place. And if you're writing like an internal application, just like something as simple as what we're doing here at, at uh, our media company is, you know, just pulling, for example, retrieving a file. But if you have to retrieve a file from each of the three clouds, you have three different lines of code for sure that are trying to pull these things. Yeah, like that that's, and data that, gravity as well. Yeah, well, I don't know. You said data gravity like it was clearly obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of the like data gravity is like the, the marketing term or kind of the term to describe like, the business processes revolve around where the data resides. So right. if that data is on prem, there's a natural gravity to keeping workloads on prem. Okay. But if you're trying to consume cloud services and your bulk of your data is on prem, then you've got network latency and things of that nature that you have to consider because your data's here and you're way out here. Mm-hmm. So how do we get this data to the cloud or what cloud? And if you go into one cloud and you need multiple clouds, how do you get, other clouds to access that data efficiently. And that's where we kind of come in, right? Especially me as a networking practitioner, like how do we connect all these clouds together so that we can kind of reduce the effects of gravity, so to speak, or at least be closer to it. Yeah. So give us an idea of some of the projects now people, you know, we talked about like, Hey, people, it started off as a master one cloud. Now we're moving to it's multi-cloud. Now I think people have settled on, we're probably going to be hybrid. Like it's, this, yeah, it's always been hybrid. Yeah, I, I have not. I don't hear any more people talking about cloud cloud only. I still see what will so there's a couple of answers to that. Yeah. There was a, <laughs> but so from the hybrid cloud perspective, I do think that a lot of people are going to stay in somewhat of a hybrid nature because they either can't get rid of certain systems on prem, but they 
But the trend that I've seen is that there's a footprint reduction. Like we want to reduce our footprint in the data center because we don't want to own and maintain that infrastructure, what have you. We want to take advantage of the the agility that cloud offers. But it's really difficult to completely evacuate a data center. And it's not just moving workloads from one spot to the other, but then you have even things like telecom systems and things like that. What do you do with those? Like you, you have to have certain telecom systems, well, those cloud native. Can you move that to the cloud? There is a lot of facets to, you know, the infrastructure element of how to ev- completely evacuate a data center. And so we don't typically see it, you know, run through, you know, complete succession. It, it does happen with some, or you might get 90% plus, but there's still going to be some footprint if that is the, the business goal is to completely evacuate the there data you, center. The requirements of keeping things hybrid are clear, right? It's like there was this, there was a movement, I would say of people thinking you can move everything away. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty clear according to you that that's probably not, it's just probably not going to happen. I mean, hybrid is going to be the way it could, but here's the funny thing. I've got a customer that is the, deploying a emulated mainframe system in Microsoft Azure. So yeah, you're lifting and shifting this technology from one location and putting it in the cloud, but it hasn't really changed all that much because it's still a mainframe interface. So that's the, that's the part about technology that enterprises can't get rid of. The business processes that are so woven into those technologies are very hard to unravel. Yeah. So instead of actually you know, completely changing your business process and adopting maybe a cloud native application or, mic- or, true, or you know, migrating everything to microservices or cloud native, we're just going to take this and emulate it. <laughs> right, it's yeah. like playing a Nintendo on your computer. Yeah, like you're yeah. playing a you're playing a Nintendo game, but it's through an emulator. I mean, that's the same concept. Okay, so the, so there's this there's heavy resistance to lose the old, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a new trend, and it's always going to be a new trend. It's not even a new trend; it's just the way it is. It's like is the introduction of new technologies. So we were talking about it at the gym uh, not too <laughs> long ago about how. Uh, generative AI is now the buzzword, the top conversation. Uh, I think you can look in the news article. OpenAI recently announced that they're trying to raise it a $90 billion valuation. I bet you they'll get it because they'll probably get it. They'll probably get it, right? Because Microsoft valued him at $30 billion, I believe. Just it's well, been less than 12 months. Well, Emma, I just read yesterday Amazon's um, putting, I can't remember the name of the company, but they're investing initial seed of one, one and a half billion in an AI company. And they have the right to go up to four billion. Yeah, but the initial investments one and a half billion. Yeah, if that doesn't tell you how like, important this AI like pre-market. is, market. It's, like, yeah. it's like free market, right? Right. So AI, everyone wants, everyone wants AI. Are you seeing? In in that's the demand. But th- we also know that AI has a tremendous strain on all of your compute storage systems because, of course, it's based off of data. Mm-hmm. The more data you feed it, the better it is. So you got to get tons of storage, tons of compute, tons of everything. And that let's assume your, your learning model is correct. Are you seeing companies wanting to a use someone else's AI for their data or B, or do you see companies trying to develop their own or, or is it another option? I, I see companies looking to, to adopt someone else's technology. So they're not going to develop their own. I think in my opinion, for most people, that's too cost, too costly, right? Yeah. Too complex, too costly. But what I'm, what you're hearing is now the cloud service providers specifically or particularly um, are starting to offer their own privatized version of that. So yeah. enterprises don't want to just have their data go into open AI, the same tool that you and I can pull up on our phone right. and, you know, goof off with and you know, <laughs> see what we can just see what funny things we can come up with. Right. Yeah. It's this that, that for us, it's entertainment or, yeah. you know. You know, trying to plagiarize a, a, a term paper. Hey, listen, <laughs> they're about to, they just got sued by uh, George R. R. Martin and some others because you can apparently type into it, like, you know, write like George R. R. Martin a story about yeah. his characters and it can it could do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think um, jokingly with the kids one time, I, I think uh, I had OpenAI create a story about, and I, I can't remember the uh, the topic now, but something related to them. And they just thought it was funny because it literally wrote a story in the theme of whatever we were going through Yeah, about some like make believe thing that we were all joking about. And I'm sorry, that's probably a bad story because I can't remember the details, <laughs> but, um, but it was just, but it was entertainment. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for, for private enterprises, right. This is a real, this is a true realization of the, like, how can we leverage this? But we don't want our data just in, you know, commercial 
um, open AI, open-based systems. Like it has to be, there has to be safeguards and controls around it. And so what you're, you're, you're seeing is all the cloud service providers are rushing to, like, for example, in Amazon investing, you know, one and a half billion um, in, an, in an AI startup. Like all of that is also that they can offer these services to companies. Yeah. So they can take advantage of the technology, but also safeguard their data because enterprises are not going to adopt it unless there's some security guarantees and, and around that system. They got yeah, to be able to know trust that it's it. closed. Right. right. So like they want to know that, for example, if like, let's say a super competitive business, let's use supermarket because supermarkets extremely competitive. The margins are razor thin. Mm-hmm. You know, they're only pulling down like 3% of everything they sell. You know, Kroger doesn't want, uh, you know, Harris Teeter to be able to, I might, they might even be the same company. I don't I know. I think they are Kroger actually. and yeah, Pub- oh, they're owned by the same. Yeah. Publix Kroger doesn't want to, Kroger doesn't want Publix to be able to query in open AI. Like, Oh, what's the best shelf blend for potato chips? <laughs> like it pulls their data. It's like, Oh, well, that or you know, all of a sudden, you know, someone misconfigures something and their data is now available for anybody to be like pulled. Right. Yeah. That, I think that's the scary part for enterprises, like making it available for anyone inadvertently, not yeah. necessarily intentionally. Well, that's the thing is like, it's knowledge, right? Because if I know that the perfect, if I know as an AI, the perfect chip blend through data, I'm using the grocery example again, right. but it's like, Doritos on one and Lay's on two. I don't know. I'm just making that up. But you know what I mean? <laughs> Point being is, how does it know that it cannot share that with anyone else? Yeah, that's the issue. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, like mm-hmm. even if you don't, if you say, hey, don't include my data, but it's like, but I know the answer. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. Because of my research. <laughs> I know the, I'm AI. I know the answer. Like, why can't I tell I you? I mean, it, but it's, <laughs> it's hot right now. I mean, because I had a customer tell me they were at, um, I think it was Google Next is the conference that yep. Google has. And we were asking, you know, on the on the call, like, hey, how was it? And it was like, all they talked about was AI, 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 AI. It was just all AI. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's just because that's what's grabbing people's attention right now. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just like virtualization was many, many years ago, right? Oh, this is the new thing. Everybody talks about it. And that's what people are rushing to. Visit Zayo's website today to unlock the power of your network and tap into the technologies of tomorrow. Go to zayo.com slash network now. So with AI, the reason why I, I wanted, for sure, wanted you here to kind of talk about this is, so moving the amount of data necessary so that an AI has a better sample set or whatever to come up with a strong conclusion has got to be, I'm assuming, the new problem. Because if I have all my data on-prem or a good majority, I, you have to shift it to cloud. Mm-hmm. You have to return it. Give me an idea what that means for you designing these systems uh, because is is bandwidth already at a point where it's like right now it can ha- handle it or do you see it quickly coming to a point where like there are going to be new ways to connect data sources because the demand is going to be so high. I think the bandwidth is there. I mean, if you think about in networking in my world, right, we're, we're dealing with 100 gigabit Ethernet type you know, speeds. If you have the budget, to do so, I've got customers that have literally multiple hundred gig lines, long haul lines, <laughs> WAN links from their data center to cloud providers or some network service provider in the middle, like a Megaport or something like that. Packet Fabric or Megaport, yeah. those guys that yeah. broker virtual connections in the cloud. And so as long as you have the budget, right, because hundred gig connections are typically not cheap. Even though, the, even though it could be a line from like, it might be a two foot line. Right. It, well, <laughs> that's only where you, that's where you see a little bit more often. I've got one that literally there are two there are crossovers in the same data center. So, uh, for, if you if you're not watching us on YouTube right now, let me describe this. So, when you have your data in a in a in a data center, so that you have racks of equipment, what you don't know is how far away the cloud, like an Amazon or Microsoft, how far away their racks of equipment are. And when they say connect the line, they literally mean. Like you would plugs, like plug your phone into or plug a, a coaxial cable from the port to your television. Like that's what they mean. Like you're going to buy a line between. Yeah. It's <laughs> a private connection. It's a private connection. It's dedicated, but it literally could be two feet long. <laughs> it, it could be. It might be a little longer or it's actually normally fiber that's patched through panels and things like that. But nobody really cares about the. But it's the already there. Life, but yeah. You're, you're paying rent. It's basically rent. You're renting. You're renting you're a leasing line. a line or you're renting a wave. And they might. And they might they charge it. you. It's a big number. It's, it's, I don't even remember how much it is. 
it, um, but it's expensive. Um, but I mean, no, no enterprise that I work with uses the internet for the most part as a transport, not at least not yeah. uh, permanently. Right. Yeah. We might initially do it internet with VPN to kind of secure it, but it's all private, most private lines, you know, well, fast, well, high speed, low latency. What about companies that are producing data at an extraordinary rate from devices and stuff? So like Ring is my favorite example, except Ring, of course, is probably all networked up through AWS, obviously. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, a Ring, so Ring Security, we've had Ring on the show before. Really mm-hmm. cool stuff that they're doing. I um, got the doorbell. What's that? I have the doorbell. <laughs> well, they have cameras, basically. I think the average household that is a customer has at least three ring port like they use because they now have um, no i used to have ring sorry well we, that's fine sorry <laughs> all right they're not sponsoring the show that's fine <laughs> you get what i'm saying like a household might have three ring devices what camera feeds and they're constantly sending data like so like this collection though this process of collecting the data like has to be there's no other way i mean this has to be internet right yeah that's internet yeah so when you talk about like consumer technologies internet is the yeah. Is the primary transport because most like I'm not gonna pay for a lease line to go into <laughs> Amazon USD Swan in Northern Virginia. That's just not economically feasible. Um so yeah, internet so technology so that you can see who's dropping off yeah. uh, about I've box got a your package. Front. How did you get that? Well, I pay three thousand dollars a month for this connection. Yeah, yeah. Um no that that's not yeah, for consumer technologies, internet's always gonna be the preferred transport method. But for private enterprises that are dealing with a lot of data, data that, you know, not my camera streaming into the cloud, but I'm talking about like I've collected data and now I need to get that data to be ingested into tools that cloud providers offer. So either I migrate that data to the cloud or I'm pulling it back and forth, you know, and, you know, pulling the data from prem or some other source. And that's when we generally see like the private connections being advantageous because one, the fees are cheaper because I, I actually said this yesterday on, with a customer. I equate networking in the cloud like driving on a toll road. Mm-hmm. You know, everywhere you go, you're going through the gates and you're getting dinged. You're getting charged, you know, per gigabyte for this, that, and the other. I mean, they charge you for everything right. um, that you do. Free to send, cost to co- bring it out. Basically. Yeah, yeah. that's the yeah. principle. Yeah, because yeah. I, I could see like these AI tools charging um you know, per gig, per terabyte. I don't know what they're going to charge, but like, cause, because you got to feed me. So I understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. You're going to always be feeding me because new information is going to be created. Like even at an enterprise level, like our grocery example, mm-hmm. like easily the product blends could shift the sales volume, turn times, like whatever they measure, it could change it. A, probably a drop of a hat. Yeah. Right. But, but the backend motivation for the way they charge is so that you don't pull your data out. Yeah. Right. So like going back to that data gravity example, if my data or if I'm a cloud provider and you bring your data in, I got you. Right. Right. I've got you in my system. Your data is in my provider. I'm going to charge you two cents a gig to pull it out. And now you're likely to stay there and use my services because your data is there. Oh, okay. So then the AI would the AI would charge based on something else. And then they're building yeah. AI. And so at that point, once the data is in the CSP, the cloud service provider, then you integrate with their systems. It's all in their network. And you kind of don't care as much about bandwidth because as a consumer of cloud, you've got, for the most part, unlimited bandwidth. Sure. As long as you want to pay the, the toll road, right? The, yeah. The, the highway is super wide. As long as you pay the toll, you can do whatever you want. So, the then, part. so then these generative AI, so like as... AI companies privatize, privatize their service is probably mm-hmm. what enterprises want. Like yep. you're going to apply your language, your AI model to my data exclusively. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send it to you. You're going to keep it. Thanks. <laughs> right. Charge mm-hmm. me a storage fee and then charge your have, storage fee and then charge you to pull it out. If you try to pull it out. But I need the results. They aren't they going to charge me for the result? Oh, like, yeah. I query, like that'll be, but that'll be a nominal charge. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it well, depends on how often you use it, right? Like right. the way cloud providers charge is they charge by request, by gigabyte, by. Yeah. So, like, if you're dropping data in Amazon S3, for example, yeah, you are charged to store it. You're charged to retrieve it. Um, you're charged to put it there. Like, um, like as far as like the commands, sure. not from the network perspective. That's just from the storage perspective. Um, but from the network perspective, like if you want to pull it out, that's an internet charge if you're using the internet, and that's usually about nine cents a gig. Um, if you do a private line, it's going to be about a fourth of that, yeah. two cents per gig. So actually, a little bit more than the fourth. 
Because I'm thinking about like uh, an enterprise Less. use case application where people, let's say, let's say we have the AI hooked up. And I, again, I'll keep to the supermarket analogy because I think everyone on earth has been to a supermarket. But like the people that are in pricing, they're going to query the thing all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's like charge per request. Like, mm-hmm. hey, every question I ask, it might be like a fraction of a cent or something like that. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you, like I joke, you don't go to the cloud to save money. Yeah. Like it, that's yeah. a, that is a common misperception. People, oh, I'm going to, because you go online again, kind of to your point earlier in the show when you said, well, these cloud native companies, just it's easy, right? You go online, you see how much it costs to run just a simple example, run a virtual machine. It's, you know, nine cents per hour. Well, yeah, that looks cheaper on yeah. the surface. But then if then, you buy the equipment. But yeah, then if you buy the equipment, but it's a different financial model, right? Yeah. It's capital expenditures versus operational expenditures. But if you take what you invest in a data center and you just lift and shift those resources to the cloud, you will pay more. Like you, if you don't right size it, if you don't adjust your, cons- you know, how you consume it, to kind of mold it to the cloud and how it's financially modeled, you're going to pay more. So do CIOs, when you first show them like what, to, what there's going to happen to their data, do they like freak out? I mean, what's going to happen to their project? Do they freak out? Like, they come in thinking, Oh, well I'll just move this and do this and I'll take advantage of all these services. I'm expecting, I'm making up a number million dollar costs. And you come back and say, well, actually it'll cost you 2 million to do this. Yeah, that does happen sometimes. Um, we have a financial consulting yeah. arm as well. So there's actually dedicated people that will just simply analyze the finop, the FinOps, right? They call it uh-huh. FinOps, financial operations, about how to, you know, I guess to more accurately just describe like making your operations in the cloud more efficient financially, right? Mm-hmm. How much is it going to cost you? How are you going to, you know, charge it back? How are you going to, if you're going to be able to do that, things of that nature. But it is more expensive, and that and that and I think sharp CIOs and CTOs understand that, and that's not why they're going to the cloud. But I do I have had customers that are just like, wait, it is cost more, like, yeah, or or they <laughs> grossly under budget or underestimate how much it's going to cost, and then when it, when it comes down to the reality, that it's it's uh, you know fifty percent more, hundred percent more, whatever that number is, it 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 ends up being more costly than they anticipated. Because they didn't think about X, Y, Z. And that's, how, that's kind of the value of hiring a consultant, a good consulting firm like Head, yeah, like the company I work for, because we we have the people that have done this and can kind of, you know, analyze those things for you and figure out, does it make sense? Or what cloud makes sense, right? You know, we take your workload, we put all these tools in place to analyze everything you have, and then we can run it and say, how much is it going to cost you in Amazon Web Services? How much is it going to cost you in Azure? And you can kind of make your decision there. If, if it makes sense, if that's the, you know, kind of the, yes. the decision point. So for people who are listening and let's say you're new to the software engineering game or you're new to services game, maybe you just haven't worked at a big company yet. So when you or I, us, when we consume consumer web products, I'm going to go to a consumer now because even consumer web products are based off of Amazon infrastructure. I mean, Amazon enterprise infrastructure. Right. So if I'm using my Capital One app to check my credit card purchases, if I'm using my Delta app to check on my flights, that's all built on something. Mm-hmm. Right. And so your company goes in and basically when people have ideas, hey, we're going to build these things. You're the one that supplies like almost like the bones is what I would say. Like the how, how, how is this even, how does our data have to stand up and connect in order for you to build right. these new layers on top? We build the foundation. Yeah. At least, at least the team that I'm a part of is doing that. So give us an idea of some of, because th- this puts you in a unique seat, and which is why I was pumped to have you on the show again, is like, and I say a unique seat because you are constantly being introduced to like wants. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we want to do this. Now, some are going to, like you've said already, like some are going to be too pie in the sky. Some are under budgeted. Some mm-hmm. are going to be right sized, and some are going to be for sure they're got to do it. Mm-hmm. Give us an idea of what people are or companies are wanting to do now. Like, give us an idea of like some of the projects you're hearing about. Uh, it doesn't have to be any particular order, but you know, we obviously understand people want to take advantage of the cloud, but why? I guess that's the <laughs> what are they trying to accomplish? That's what I want to. It depends on that. who you ask. <laughs> I, I have a joke, but I'm kind of half joking. <laughs> And sometimes it's just a like resume building for certain people. <laughs> oh dang! Oh dang! Well, no one wants to hear that. But. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's probably not always the reality, but there's there is that element. If yeah. I'm being honest, but from a business perspective, it's I see a lot of data center evacuations. We just don't want, like I was saying earlier, we just don't want to be in the data center business. 
Because it doesn't necessarily drive any business value. Mm-hmm. If you think about IT, IT has typically been a cost center. So that's just a cost cost savings measure. Uh, a cost savings measure in the sense that I don't now I now no longer have to employ people to spend time keeping the facility up. Yeah, I can take those people in theory, right, and have them apply their skills to things that actually help us make money or make the business better, et cetera, et cetera. Now, whether they co- choose to do that or not is kind of a career choice. Yeah. But um, in terms of the, you know, the individual contributors doing that, but that's one element, right? I don't want to maintain this anymore because it's just, I have to pay people to do that. Now you do have to pay the cloud for that, but that's essentially you're outsourcing right. that, right? The cloud providers are responsible for that underlying infrastructure. And now you can focus on the, the infrastructure above that and the applications that run above that. Right. So that's kind of one reason. Or a big Give reason. Some more. <laughs> uh, the other one is just taking advantage of the of platform as a service. Like the services that people, um, excuse me, not people, um, cloud service providers offer, I no longer have to maintain. So still in the similar theme. Like so instead of building the database server and managing that database server, I could run like uh, an RDS database, which is an Amazon relational database service. And it's a service that I can say, I want a database. I click a few things in the console if I'm just playing around and I can, boom, I've got a database available. I don't have to maintain the server that it's on. I can let Amazon manage the patching of that system, maintain the code, all that stuff. I don't have to pay for it. They pay for it. Or Azure's version of like, you know, Azure SQL, for example, that's their version of the same thing. So it's basically a way to alleviate responsibility and move what we're responsible for higher up the OSI model. Is that how they present these projects to you though? Like that, that's how they present it. Or do they start with like, Hey, I want to build something and this is what I need. Yeah, I think they, they do Um, on the sale. That's mostly on the sales cycle, which I don't, I don't have as much of a hand in, but yeah, generally speaking, there's an initiative and it's usually driven higher up by not like, Hey, we want to build a network from our prem to Azure, like that's not the business objective. <laughs> right, right. That's the requirement from the business objective to take advantage of evacuating the data center, or I want to build microservices-based applications in Azure or AWS or Google, you know, name, basically name your cloud. Mm-hmm. But there's always a business-level objective that's driving those technical factors. But most of the time, it's to take advantage of services that otherwise we don't have on-prem. So when you walk into the door... Leadership is already established. Hey, we want to do X. And so you're here to be like, well, how do we do X? Yeah. We want to get here, but I don't know how to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're Google maps. Like, you know, you want to go, I like today I put in the address to come here. I wanted to come here to do this podcast, but I didn't know exactly how to get here. So I consulted my handy dandy Google map system and that's my consultant. It told me how to get here. And that's what we are. We are, the Google maps of getting you to cloud. Right. And there's always when you finally sit down with them, just like even for our media company, it's a small little, it's a small request, but still requires some actual thinking of like, how do we want to handle data? Because getting data to the cloud actually was, we could all have just done it, but it's like, we want to, we want to be strategic. We, we need this highly available. It's got to be available to all my editors. How big are the, you asked me how big are the files? Well, each file happens to be like 156 gigs. Right. <laughs> how many do you need to make right. a video? I don't know. hundred. The idea <laughs> that you wanted to consolidate your media files is a simple, a simple concept in the idea of it. The execution yeah. is where the work comes in. That's right. And so the same thing with companies going to cloud. Hey, I have an idea. I want to go to the cloud. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm over trivializing this, right? Right. But hey, I wanted to cloud for whatever reason it is. My buddy works over here and I just want to help him out. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that before. <laughs> um, um, I need, I want to put cloud on my resume. I've seen that before. <laughs> it's not advertised, but you can read through the lines, right? Yeah. Um, we or, used to tell our, by the way, legitimate we used, reasons. We should tell our sales guys to ask the um, customer or prospect directly, like, what gets you a promotion, like off the record? Uh huh. Well, because it's, like, that's important. <laughs> yeah. let's be real like yeah yeah let's like be honest over drinks you know like why yeah. do salespeople want to take you out to dinner and stuff it's so they can have that conversation mm-hmm. like dude tell what me what motivates you yeah what gets you a promotion do you want one like this <laughs> do you are i've noticed over the years when especially when it comes to sales relationships in our world yeah if we um, build relationships that and we end up helping a you know a, a project sponsor accomplish their goals solve their business problems, not just sell them gear. 
but if we can help them solve a problem, that gives us what we want. Yeah, because we need to sell things in order to stay in business. Like we're that's, a for-profit that's, company. That's, what, that's, what it, that's how it works. I've heard. But they also solve, get their problems solved, with, yeah. and that makes them look good. It helps them get promoted. It helps them, you know, help the business. Like, yeah, all of that. It's a win-win. Yeah. And so when you're, and I'm kind of getting off topic here, but when you're in sales and you learn how to help your customers actually solve their business problems then the byproduct is you get to sell them a bunch of stuff as long as it's relevant, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. The services and the yep, products yep. that go along with it. Yep. And as, if you do that, <laughs> it, it, I mean, that's, that's exactly what it is, but it, you get, but you got to learn what their motivation is. And same thing for going to cloud. Why are they motivated to go to cloud? Oh, my there's, the advertise, <laughs> there's the advertise reason. Then you can kind of read through the line reason. Yeah. And there may be some mixture of both, but we are the ones that help execute on getting from point A to point B with point B being get to the cloud. Yeah. And that yeah. is the hard part. Yeah. So it's, it's similar to the way I phrased the problem to you is like, Hey, what is the best solution for this? I have multiple editors. I have multiple people. It's technically an on-prem operation, except it's not because it's not on-prem when we go shooting right. and, and recording content. And I remember kind of you asking me all the questions like, well, how big is the file size? How fast is this? Or do they have access to internet? I was like, no, man, these guys are in the middle of the desert in Las Vegas. They don't have access to nothing. <laughs> like they're, they have a library of cards in Hollywood Herd's back pocket just running around like, hey, <laughs> someone needs to back these up. Well, at least if they're in your front pocket, no one can pickpocket them, obviously, right? <laughs> but yeah, you're talking about when we put a, I put a price tag on, it's like there's more than $12,000 a day of content we're creating. Yeah. And so, see, that's, 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 <laughs> but that's the driver. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you had, you needed an insurance policy. Well, it was two, there are two drivers, right? I kept, I kept getting tired of, not tired, but it was clearly becoming a problem where I could, would have an editor that can't work on something because they can't identify which card, which drive, which portable drive the footage was originally captured on. Because that's when I presented to you because I did a test. I was like, well, how fast is it to write? from one storage device to another. And I was like, this takes forever. I can't believe it takes so long. So if you tie that example, yeah. what you guys have to what enterprise customers are facing, it's the same thing. You're having to manage the infrastructure. You're right. Which is the SD cards. Yeah. And so your media folks are having to spend time doing things that aren't really helping the business, right? Creating content. They're having to manage that. Yeah. So we're trying to get rid of that process on them and outsource it to a system, automate it, name, you, you know, you name yeah. it. Hardware, software, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to make the business process better. That's what enterprises are trying to do in the cloud. They're trying yeah. to take that debt that I keep referring to and get rid of it. We don't, we don't want to manage this. We want to actually work on the business processes, you know, building applications that are focus our people, excuse me, on building applications or managing, you know, the applications a little bit higher up. Now that might scare some operational yeah. IT people when I say that. It's, you're not going to become a software developer, right? Yeah. But what the idea is is instead of making sure we're racking and stacking servers and plugging them in and making sure that they're, you know, powered into distributed power sources and different PDUs and all that data centers, like we don't care about that anymore. We just need to run a virtual machine inside of Azure. And I can run my workload there and I don't have to worry about. And in the case of Southwest, it might be like, hey, I want to notify the pilot that they now need to report to gate 35. Right. (laughs) Super simple. (laughs) You can take advantage. Like they like, let's just say a hypothetical Southwest were to, and I don't know anything about their infrastructure for the record. Yeah. But let's say they wanted to take that system and put it in the cloud or and automate that. I can take advantage of serverless technologies and microservice architectures that the cloud can offer, whether like an example, I can run, you know, uh, manage Kubernetes services on all the cloud providers, and I can build container-based applications on top of those, but I don't have to build a Kubernetes cluster. I don't have to maintain that. I can let Azure, I can let AWS do that for me, and now I can build these um, microservices app that use message queuing and things of that nature to send a message to the, the microservice that will then notify the pilot on their phone, right, Yeah. to, hey, you're on gate 36B now. <laughs> Yeah. Instead of having to call in. <laughs> yeah. Where do I go? <laughs> but doing that on prem is really hard because now you have to build the infrastructure for Kubernetes to do the containers. And then you have to build the install, pick a queuing message queue software to do that. Or you can just let the cloud providers do that. Yeah. And you just consume it. Yeah. And that's where the agility 
of cloud comes from, like being able to spin up services much quickly. Much so more quickly. you used to be more on the sales side, I believe, when you were yes. flying around all the time. How long? Give us an idea. When an enterprise wants to adopt new infrastructure to enable new capabilities, on average, how long is that? How long is that process? Because it starts with an idea. Hey, I'd like to do this. The sales cycle or yeah. the actual process of the customer going from you know here to there. Yeah, yeah. From pie in the sky idea, years. To- Years, yeah, could be it's years. It's a process because you could, you could, you could take you know three to six months of a sales cycle just in us having conversations, trying to figure out what they're trying to do. Do we have the right resources? What constraints are there? What constraints are there? Scoping the project properly and getting they have to get budget for it if they don't have it. Um, a lot of depending on the project though, they may already have budget or initiative, and we just need to figure out what they're trying to do. Yeah. So let's just okay. Go ahead. It's a great. This is a great example. So I, I on the show I talked about with um, one of the cloud leaders at Deloitte about how I so much more prefer Delta. In one simple example I gave was Delta. When you check in your bag, it shows up instantly in your app. It lets you know that the bag is traveling. So I go surfing a lot. And so it's important to me that I know my surfboard's on the plane because I'm fat. And if I get a, if my (laughs) custom surfboard does not arrive to my destination, I will have a terrible vacation because I'll have to rent a board that's either A, too big or it's got to be too big because you can't go too small because it's a game of flotation. If the board's too small, you can't float, you can't surf, you're done. I've had that problem. I didn't know you surf, (laughs) by the way. Yeah. So like that's the, that's the, that's the idea is like just that little thing I thought was awesome. You know what I mean? Like I get to with confidence know that I'm on a plane and my surfboards are on, on the plane. It literally took, I think more than two years before American could provide the same service. That cause you got to think about how to, <laughs> how do you tie the, those systems together? Because what probably, and I'm just taking a guess here, what probably tracks the baggage could be a fairly older system. And the tickets like, are another thing. Yeah. And, and <laughs> so it's like, okay, how do we tie this? Let's, Let's just hypothetically speaking, the baggage tracking system is a, a legacy application that's on-prem in our data center, right? How do we tie that to maybe some of the newer technologies that would allow my app, uh, you know, my iPhone app, my Android-based app to function? That's the, the reality that we're seeing as yeah. consumers, that we see the app that we're using, right? And it's nice and pretty, and that's what all, you know, our customers want, right? Or like end users like me and you want. Yeah. But when for an enterprise that's got this, these, all these other systems that are around, we, how do we integrate that? And that's kind of what, what drives what I do. Like I'm on, I'm at the bottom of it, building those pathways for these systems to communicate. But at the end of the day, it, they don't, businesses don't network just for the sake of networking. Yeah. Right? They're building this app and they need these things to talk. So how do they talk? Well, we got to build them. We want to build this feature. I thought you just use Zapier. Just get Zapier, a zap. Just yeah. zap, <laughs> zap the bag over. I thought right. that's problem solved, baby. But that's pro- <laughs> but that would explain one of the reasons why it would take two years. The other part is enterprises, large companies, they're like big ships. They are hard to move. Like they, they, I mean, they don't had just, they're to have seen nimble. that and been like, we look like clowns because we can't do that. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. And then when, but the reality is there's probably politics internally yeah. that get in the way. And I'm not assuming that American yeah. is this way. I'm, I'm just speaking hypothetically in general, right? Yeah. Just there have, might be disorganization. Sure. There might be um, operational inefficiencies within the organization that prevent it from effectively and quickly adopting something new for all the reasons that we've talked about today, right? Yeah. I don't want to do this. The people don't want to do this. The technology's too old. Go down the list. Yeah. Um, so it's a really, really hard problem to solve. It seems like it should be simple from our point of view. Yeah, because it's like, oh, they, especially if you've seen it done. App. If you've seen it done, it's like, oh. Why can't they do it? Why can't my bag just follow my ticket? Right. And like, so the same thing if you get, not that it's happened as much lately, but you know when you get like rerouted or possibly like they, they change gates. When they change gates, I always get nervous because I'm like, that means the plane has changed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Basically, they've, designated a new plane to fly a new route how do they relay that information to the bag the bag usually makes it i've so far but like back in the day you'd be like oh well i don't know mm-hmm. is it gonna come or not like you know what i mean like right i don't know like you just you just i'm like i'm that guy looking out the window like please dear there's God, a little put- <laughs> is there not a little bit of excitement that we're missing like whether or not our bag's gonna make it or not <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm looking out the window like where is it i don't see it because right. a surfboard bag is clearly obvious. Like I could recognize mine. I'm like, huh. But yeah, 
that that's that's the kind of thing where as a consumer you mentioned it you think it's super easy when we want it to be super easy because for the companies that do do it well it is easy mm-hmm. and then for the companies that don't do it for whatever reason mm-hmm. it makes you feel well, like what is going on i think it's hard for people to grasp how complicated it possibly is to connect it is the bag to the ticket really really hard <laughs> and see i can appreciate that because I, I'm I'm behind the scenes. I kind of yeah. have privy to see all that happen compared to the you know regular consumer that's driving down the street right now, like using an app. Yeah. Um, but on the same token, I love it when it when it works and it works well. <laughs> you know, like oh, this is really nice. Yeah, yeah. Thank no, you, cloud. No doubt about it. <laughs> so, what other things? You know, one of the things that you also get a uh, front seat to is like, it's just the desire. Like, what are people desiring to accomplish? And then. I think it gives you a unique perspective because you can kind of forecast like what do you see changing over the next five years? Like based on your personal opinion, mm. obviously this is the only definitely personal opinion. Yeah. Stuff, it's personal yeah. opinion, but like how, how do you see companies behaving in the future? Cause there's, if you go to like a marketing conference, they'll talk about how customer experience and stuff will be the driver. If you go to, um, if you go to other conferences, you'll hear about like, you know, being competitive, being first is always going to be the key. I don't know if that's true. You know what I mean? Like the more I'm watching, I'm like, do companies actually deliver these all ultimately amazingly great experiences or are companies just getting like, I don't know how to best describe it. Do they just get insanely good at what they do? And just people just, that is the experience. You know what I mean? Like the people, is, is it innovation or is it just constantly doing, figuring out ways to do what you already do better? Cause I think of Chick-fil-A a lot. I really do. I'm like, dude, these guys just nonsense. And I know there's a lot of technology involved in Chick-fil-A, but like. They, 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 from my perspective, that on the outside, how well their app works and how yeah. well that process works. I'm like, they're doing something right. And yeah. I can appreciate that because I know how hard it is to do that stuff. Now, what are they doing right? Not sure, but they're doing something right. <laughs> yeah. Chick, Chick-fil-A is one of the companies where I see like it's constantly innovating because their drive through experience is so far superior to everybody else. And it's, and, like, it's like it's not even comparable We're, it's, it's not no one's in the league no there's nowhere there's no one anywhere close and the fact that they just came out with a pimento cheese chicken sandwich i mean there's like i, I love pimento cheese i'm a southern boy true and true when it comes to that stuff and so when they came out with that i was like oh man mm, i had one yesterday for lunch actually so so I, i'm <laughs> not a pimento cheese guy but uh, i have seen it it looks like just pure fat on top of a piece of fried chicken why it tastes great <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like there, there's companies that try to innovate like these new experiences and so on. And there's other companies that like, I don't know, they constantly just evolve what they already do and make it better. So I don't know, like or they're chasing ch- what the innovators have done. It's kind of the way I look at it. Like, yeah. There's a select few people slash companies that have actually innovated and come up with new ideas. Open AI being a yeah. great example. And then everybody else chases them. Because they want to be, they want to emulate that. They want that, that experience because of whatever its impact is. I feel like a lot of it is actually just people chasing what's new and trying to be competitive. It is to be competitive, right? right? Because if you don't innovate, then and you're still doing business the exact same way, you will be left behind, right? In general. So a lot of it is someone makes something new, in my opinion. This is just my personal opinion. And then everybody else is chasing that. Yeah. But I want the the reason why I wanted to ask you like where do you see it going is because I also in the same vein all these companies talk about modern technology modern this modern that okay okay Chick Fil A is killing it but in North Carolina we have a company that's local to North Carolina that doesn't even try to I feel like they don't even try to invest in technology and that's my buddies at Cookout because <laughs> the Cookout if you've ever been in North Carolina no Cookout has a good speaker when you talk to someone at Cookout. <laughs> zero chance you want (laughs) dude they don't have a computer system that tells you what you ordered like you know mcdonald's it'll be like oh this is what you ordered you could see it like oh okay you did you typed it incorrectly cookout is making zero effort to do that on the outside they crush it i've never seen a cookout without a line and it's fast because their food's good it's fast it's not as fast as chick-fil-a but it's fast and they're constantly selling burgers you can't deny that I mean, if it works, it works, right? Right. So, cook. you know what I mean? So, like, that's my whole point is, like, companies keep talking. Some people talk about innovation always is going to be the differentiator. But I was like, dude, is it always? Like, because I, I don't think consumers are 
there yet where it's like we'll only we'll choose something because it's more innovative. Yeah, I don't think that consumers necessarily choose choose it because it's innovative. But I think the innovation or the the innovative part is offering things that maybe the consumers won't. Yeah. For example, the efficiency in the drive through Chick-fil-A. Harsh, that is driven by the app that they've built. Yeah. Like I love the express checkout lane. Yeah. I go to it several times a week. I order my food. Did you know that if you order the food and don't pick it up, they don't charge you? Yes. I did know that. That's pretty because crazy. Because they don't. So if you use Apple Pay, you don't get the notification until you've scanned the code. Yeah. That's when the order's placed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're not actually cooking it ahead of time. Right. At yeah. all. That's why you have to check in. And then. Yeah. And that's why I like to check in like at the very first scanner. So that way I can get my food in line so I can start eating the fries in the car. <laughs> <laughs> that's my game. <laughs> You know, I think customers do appreciate that because they see that line. They know it's there. Whereas if you go to Wendy, I mean, I'm going to call you out, Wendy's. If I see like a, a car or two cars in the line, I know that's no, going to No, call it. out McDonald's. See, like, I've not been to McDonald's recently. I've though. got kids, little kids that <laughs> I, I, I did the other day. And sorry, McDonald's, you know, but I, they, oh, I was like, chicken nuggets are terrible compared to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> but they sell a bunch of them. They do. Uh, they're still, they're is, still the big ones. Yeah, so is technology going to be the driver or is it still... You still have to make unbelievable products. Technology can help you. Still have to make unbelievable products because cookout example is they got good burgers. Yeah. That's why people go to cookout. They don't go to cookout because the speaker sounds nice. (laughs) Oh, wow. I actually can understand my name. (laughs) So technology is going to complement the product. It's never going to replace the fact that you have a bad product. Right. There you go. Well, what do you hope to be true in like the next five years? Because a lot of companies want to innovate. So you might as well just be the type of person that says like, hey, this is what I want to be true because hopefully they hear this and like, oh, we should build that for for this guy. Oh, so, you know, I've thought about this on and off a few times. Like, what do I think is the next big thing? Yeah. And I'm not talking about AI. Like, and I, I go back to traditional infrastructure, like mainframe, the evolution of tech, right? And in, in very few pillars or in a small amount of pillars, it's mainframe, client server on-prem, cloud. Right. And virtualization, then cloud. Right. So those things have evolved technology over the years. And every time that innovation from a technology perspective has come out, there's been a huge focus and effort amongst companies and people and consulting firms like ourselves to help customers adopt whatever that is. Yep. I keep wondering what is after cloud. Um, AI, I think, is just an extension of it. Sure. Um, I don't really, I mean, it's obviously in itself a huge innovation. And I think it's going to have major impacts to our society um, going forward, both good and bad, um, just like everything else. But I do wonder what's next. And I'm not a hundred percent sure um, at this point, like what's funny to me. And, and I think of this and because I'm a networking guy, I think about geography a lot because I have to think about where something physically is located, you know, from a customer's on-prem data center to where the cloud providers actually reside. And they're you know, obviously they have they're spread out across the world, but there are a few locations. If we just take the continental United States, on the East Coast, majority of the cloud service regions um, are in Northern Virginia, yep. you know, Ashburn, Virginia. Yep. So everything is like bam, right there. With a few exceptions, we got one in Ohio. We've got um, Central U.S. Azure's got some stuff in Iowa, and then you got some stuff in Arizona, and then. Oregon and California. Yeah. They have a few, and there's scatterings of other places, but for the most part, those are the major areas, Ashburn and San Jose. And so all of these workloads that have been traditionally scattered throughout all these various private data centers have physically been, everything's con- consolidating in, in certain locations. And at what point does that be, do we pull that apart? Do we see a shift back? I don't know. I'm not a hundred percent sure if I'm honest with you on what's going to be next. I think it'll be a few layers of adding on top of it, AI kind of being on top of cloud in general. I don't think if it weren't for cloud, I'm not real sure AI would have been possible. So that's why I say it's kind of an extension of that. Yep. Cloud enabled that because of the massive amounts of computing power that could be collected in these locations versus being distributed amongst different private facilities. Yeah, it's like insurance. Like also the amount of people that invested in cloud that allowed them to continue expand the investments, right? Like we're a pooled shared service Mm -hmm. and then someone develops a service on top of it that can utilize that much compute. I I agree. I don't know if you would ever have been able to fathom that this is possible if you had to buy all your own machines and there was no way to scale without buying 
right. hardware first. No, no way. <laughs> no way. And, and so, yeah, I wonder, I wonder about what's next. Um, it's like, uh, you're thinking more like, um, the ways, well, it's almost like how we work, right? Because when we talk about pen and paper and ledgers to going to pet, you know, what are the major shifts of since the industrial revolution, right? The first is going to be, we all relied on paper. It was mm-hmm. reality. We did pen and paper, right? Then there was calculator. Then there was computer systems that could store information, but that was all. Remember on- Texas Instruments calculators? Yeah. Remember those things back <laughs> yeah. in the day? Yeah. It's like, oh, we can up productivity by a lot simply by typing these in. It's like, perfect. All right. Then we had storage systems, like local compute, even if it was tape, like, you know, they were storing mm-hmm. huge tape racks. Mm-hmm. Then it was, you know, that got better. Mobile probably. Nope. I, the cloud came before the mobile shift. Mobile doesn't really start taking off until 2000. No, I think mobile comes first. Yeah. Because the Blackberries around in around 01. Oh, two Blackberry mm-hmm. starts making an appearance. Mobile really starts taking off cloud. What AWS turns on its lights in what? Oh, six. Sounds about right. Yeah. Sounds about yeah, right mm-hmm. around that. That arena. was a little bit before I got in the cloud. <laughs> about 10 yeah. years prior. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, six. And then uh, iPhone comes out in 08 and then it's uh, it reaches its peak in 11. I love that's the stat I always cite is from eight to 11. Blackberry sales actually rose, even though iPhone released in eight. It wasn't until 2012 where RIM started seeing declining sales mm-hmm. and iPhone was iPhone hasn't taken over yet, but it's the first year of declining sales. So around 2012, people are like, Oh, a touchscreen interface with a centralized repository of app developers, third-party app developers is a better experience than one company controlling everything soup to nuts. Mm-hmm. Right. So those are the major shifts. The next major shift in how we work. Anyone's guess. I think it's going to depend on what we invent next. That's going to be appealing. I do. I do think that I, I do see cloud providers. They're they're building more locations, so they're trying to get the workloads as distributed and as close to users as possible. I think we'll see a continuation of that for probably the next five to ten years. But what's after that? I mean, I think it's. But isn't like? But networks already getting to like ten G speed. They're oh, trying to get labor. to like. Yeah. yeah, people are trying to get to uh, no on the. On the cellular level. Oh, on the cellular level. Sorry. Yeah. I was reading about how 10G like is already people are working on. We just went to 5G. People are going to double it. Will it, will network speeds at location ever get to the point where it's so blazing fast? You don't, it's indiscernible. I think it, yeah, I think you're going to get there. Or do you think software developers, companies will make their products and services so bloated with like whatever live 4k streaming that it will consume all the capacity i think we'll consume what's available I mean, right we already sounds, do right yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll eat whatever's available yeah well and that but that's what drives the the need for more bandwidth yeah like we we don't need to build bandwidth for the sake of building bandwidth we increase bandwidth because other technologies are pushing that yeah um we want to be able to stream uh services and more and more and more of that we need fiber at the home that's a big thing right now right everyone's wanting fiber in their house i got 4k tvs 4k tvs multiple devices the more devices and the more bandwidth these devices just keeps piling on top of the bandwidth demands and so as you start leaving the the fringes of the network you know being the consumers like ourselves at home and you go further in those pipes have to be, you know, pipes referring to the bandwidth for those that aren't networking people, sorry, yeah, have to get larger and larger and larger to handle the demand. So as the bandwidth on the edge increases, the bandwidth in the, in the middle has to, or in the center has to increase. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like they're physically buried. The bandwidth is physically buried. That's why all the, maybe the next major innovations well, are going to happen Well, that's the fiber, network. yeah. But, but, the, but could you imagine if network speeds got to faster than fiber? Is it possible? No. Well, that's light. Speed of light. So everything on fiber is light. You're running at the speed of light when it turn when in terms of the actual speed on point A to point B. No, I mean bandwidth is more about throughput. Right, right. But what I'm saying is, do you see a place where networking speeds, uh, excuse me, internet, public network, air like satellite to satellite, tower to tower, cell cell phone to the cloud can get as fast or faster than fiber? Faster than fiber? No. That, that would be the innovation then, if someone could figure that out. Wire, well, if, if we're talking about wireless technology, yeah. and, and that could be 5G, it, yeah. you know, cell phone tower, you know, wire, wireless yeah. actual, you know, wireless. Could it happen? Line. I don't think so. And the reason why. You're wrong. <laughs> I don't know. The reason why I say that is 
wireless is always going to be a shared medium. So think about just take all the, the cool stuff around, you know, technology out and let's just get to the basics. A wired network versus a wireless network. And I have a wired network. I have dedicated bandwidth that that, that piece of that cable is only for me, right? It's There's no shared medium around it. When we're dealing with wireless. Sure. The tower services everyone in the Everybody, radius. the wire is the air. Yeah. And so everybody hears the radio waves and then the more contention. Now, those bandwidths will increase, but as those bandwidths increase, the demand to drive like the fiber that's the back end of all those that connects all the cell towers yep. together, that will also increase. So I always think that in true in true terms of raw throughput, you're always going to see more on fiber because it's not being shared in the sense of like you know, wireless is. Um, so I, I think because but that's what's driving those internal bandwidths, those fiber bandwidths, right? Yeah. I could be wrong, right? You know, I'm definitely not the you know the I don't have a crystal ball and and what it's going to be, but I, just knowing how the kind of like the physics of it work, I just don't see that wireless would on the edge would exceed what we can deliver on the backbones of networks. Right. Listen, when we talk about predicting the future here on it visionaries, I will still maintain my position, (laughs) which is I'm ready for ready player one. I think it would be terrible for society, but great for me. I see people always wanting to be immersed in the worlds of technology, like basically a world that's not theirs, right? Something that's cheap, accessible, whatever you want to call it. Like, Instagram, escape Instagram reels is the cheapest form of entertainment. There I know. You know what I mean? I'm guilty. So, of, like, that's a guilty pleasure of mine. So my, yeah, my perverse thought, it's not reverse because it's totally self. Uh, it's, 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 it's for me. It's super selfish is I want, <laughs> is I want ready player one to happen. I want all people to want to plug in. I want like the, you want I, the metaverse, but exactly. But I'm not going to participate. <laughs> That'll be exciting part. Me personally, because then I'm going to pick up beach houses and go surfing all the time and just not worry about it. <laughs> That's literally my plan. And, and and at that point, food delivery services will be key because I think people won't want to leave their, I mean, I already can't believe people get food delivered, but I can see people plugged in on their metaverses. I get like, food delivered all the time. I love dude, it. I'm cheap, man. I can't do it. I can't do it. Like when I see the food delivery fee, I'm like, no, I, I've got the, not to be off topic, but I've started now. There's a few meals that I went to order and it was damn near $40. Yeah. I was like, uh, okay, this is getting a little too crazy. I instantly deleted the app. I'm like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> Such a waste. <laughs> Brantley, man, I want to say thank you for joining us today on oh, IT yeah, Visionaries. Thank you for having me. That's a good way to close out the, <laughs> the close out the season with a guy that actually solves the problems. Well, at least some of them, yeah. <laughs> and you're going to solve ours. Yeah, absolutely. All right. If you want to meet up with Brantley, follow him on LinkedIn. He's got all of the knowledge. If you want to understand what a head is, it's going to be linked up in the show notes. And if you want to see a funny video we're about to do for him and his kids, um, (laughs) we might link that up too. (laughs) Green screen fun. There you go.